if you've been here, we have been talking about what, what makes for a worthy life. What makes for a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What makes for a, a great life? How can we build this great life? And it's been part of this Ready for More campaign. We've been wondering, asking about that. Um, and this Ready for More campaign, as you know, has been about uh, seeking to raise $200,000 for that renovation of that sanctuary that we hope to move in in the new year. But it's been about way more than that. It has been about, we've intentionally said, this, this is about spiritual maturity. It's about spiritual growth. It is about a vision for ministry for all of us as a community of faith. But here's the fascinating thing between those things. Um, they're actually connected. Um, the reality of money and spiritual growth are, are pretty closely tied together. The Bible shows us again and again how there's little spiritual growth unless we are able to put our money and our attitude towards money into God's hand. And so it's important for us to talk about money, to talk about things like giving. Um, if this is your first time here, if you're not a Christian and you come to church maybe the first time and you think, oh man, here these Christians go again, talking about money all the time. I got to tell you, we don't do that a whole lot. I mean, we talk about it because it's an important reality uh, about our faith, but we don't do it all the time. So hang tight with me, okay? Um, but think about this. Here's, here's why it's important. I'm going to give you another example. Let's say you're not feeling well. You go to the doctor. Um, you go to the doctor and say, Doc, I am just not feeling well at all. Um, I'm getting way too sick. I'm tired all the time. Help me chart out a path to health. What's the doctor going to say? She's going to say something like, okay, let's do that. We can do this. But you know what? you're going to need to tell me a few things about your life. I can't just do a physical right now and do a few blood tests and call it good. We're going to have, you're going to have to tell me a whole lot more. I need to know about your eating habits. What are you eating? When are you eating? How often are you eating? You've got to tell me about your sleep habits. Tell me about your relationships, your friendships. Tell me about your work. How about, uh, are there any stresses in your life? You're going to have to open up a whole lot of your life to that doctor to chart a path to health and healing. And that makes sense, right? Because we are created as integrated beings. So our bodies, our emotions, our mind, our souls are all integrated components of who we are, and each affects one another. Which is why when we talk about spiritual health, spiritual growth, when we talk about building a life worthy of the gospel, um, it's artificial to avoid the subject of money and giving um, because money is a source of so many of our worries and the complexities in our life, isn't it? And, and because the Bible speaks, Jesus speaks so frequently and openly and, and um, frankly about money. So of course we're going to talk about this. You know, God is very interested in how the presence of Jesus Christ within us gets publicly demonstrated to others. And that reality is seen so much in, in relationships. It is 
in how we treat our neighbors. That's where we see the reality of Jesus. It is seen in our care for creation, for the environment. It is seen in how we view and relate to people we might term our enemies, how we hold our sexuality, and also our relationship with money, our capacity to live with an open-handed generosity. That is a clear, compelling testimony to how we understand how the gospel has taken hold of our lives. Um, That is one of the, the surest evidences for how deeply the gospel has sunk into our life is a life of generosity. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to explore that today. And to get us there, Bethany, where are you? She's going to read scripture from 2 Corinthians. So our scripture this morning, or this evening, is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 9, as well as chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, parts of chapter 8 and chapter 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written... He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, 
while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The word of the Lord. I think all of us, I'm assuming all of us, would really aspire to be generous people. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't think so. I hope not. But I think, yeah, we want to be generous. I don't think anyone sets out or wishes to be, you know, some tight-fisted, miserly, grumpy, tightwad who hoards and protects all their assets and resources. You know, unless money has just so gripped your soul, I think... There's something in all of us that says, yeah, I, I want to be a generous person with my time, with, with my emotional energy, with my resources and gifts. Because we see that generosity, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Generosity is life-giving. And generosity is something God delights in. He loves it. Scripture says that God loves a certain number of things. God loves justice. God loves his people, his church. God loves generosity. Paul says it here. God loves a cheerful giver. God delights in people who freely, generously give because they are like him. Because this is God's heart. God's heart freely gives. And that because God delights in that sweet spirit of generosity, we're going to unabashedly talk about it, about that sort of spirit of giving tonight. Now, one of the things we do need to address uh, real quickly on is, is this mistaken notion that generosity somehow has to do with the available resources you have. A lot of people are prevented, at least feel that there's some barrier towards them being generous because they think, I have very little, so I really can't be that generous. But that's a mistaken notion because giving or a generosity has really little to do with resources. It's not a resource issue. It's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. Look at what Paul says in this passage here. little context here. The Apostle Paul in this letter, he's writing to a church in Corinth. And this is the second letter. You notice it's 2 Corinthians. This is the second, most scholars think probably the third letter in a series of letters to this church in Corinth. In one of his earlier letters, our first Corinthians, um, Paul invites the church to give to a really good cause to the impoverished believers in Jerusalem. And the Corinthian church, they accepted the challenge. Great, we want to be part of this good thing that God's doing. And so they accepted the challenge, and yet they were growing slack. You know, their giving sort of tapered off. They're getting irregular in their generosity. And so Paul now writes, reminding them of what they had committed to and this vital value of generosity. And he reminds them, interestingly, by telling them about another church. So there's this church in Macedonia, probably the church in Galatia he's talking about. And the remarkable thing about this other church that he's talking about is... They were poor. Now, the Corinthians, they were sort of elite people. They were pretty rich. This Macedonian church, they were poor. They were persecuted. They were hurting. They didn't have much. But this gospel move generosity just flowed so freely out of them. Look at what Paul says. Out of the most severe trial, so they're persecuted. Out of the most severe trial, their extreme poverty 
welled up into rich generosity. Giving and our generosity are never about available resources. They are always a matter of the heart. Which should make us stop and wonder, how many times have we stopped up generosity in our lives because we felt we needed more somehow? How many times have thought, you know what, if I, if I just get that raise, or if I get that job, or if I get myself financially stable, then, you know what, then I'll be free to give. I'll be free to be generous. Can I tell you that is just so unlikely? Not that you're not going to get that job or get that raise or anything like that. But if that's your attitude, generosity probably won't flow. Because if you wait until you have enough to give, it's never going to happen. Generosity begins not in your wallet or the size of your bank account. It begins in the heart. Here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul, he's, um, he's unpacking this really remarkable reality that the gospel produces in us. It, it produces, um, I guess, an economy of sorts, a, an ecosystem of grace that produces a generous life. And it includes these three interlocking realities of grace and gratitude and generosity. And all of these flow together in, in this beautiful economy of grace. It's the economy of God's kingdom, and it is rooted in the story of hope and provision that God is writing in this world. But it's, it's this ecosystem that always results in overflowing gratitude and generosity. And it begins, begins with God and his grace. As I noted earlier, um, the Macedonian church, which gave so selflessly, so sacrificially, you know, it says they gave as much as they were able to, and even beyond their ability. They, in fact, it says, Paul says, they urgently pleaded for the opportunity, for the privilege of giving. Um, how many of us have done that, right? After the offering is taken, we've said, no, 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 one more time. Come on, one more time. Let's do this. What is going on? What to, to, to release that sort of generosity? Paul said, they first gave to the Lord. That is the focus of their giving. That is their target for their giving. Generosity is always moved and motivated by the gospel, always God-directed, which means the, the reality of generosity and, and stewarding our money is really a, an issue of lordship. Who is lord of your life? Who are you giving to? When the gospel grips our heart and takes hold, we see that a generosity just flows freely, almost automatically. It's not a financial issue, right? It's a spiritual issue. And the power of the gospel is amazing because it has this capacity to, 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 to really change how you see and relate to your resources and your money. And it actually frees you to be a radically generous person. You can look at money in a whole new way. Here's an example of it. In a couple of weeks, you know, it's Christmas time, right? And we're going to hear, um, every Christmas, you hear of this character, uh, someone whose life is radically changed. It is Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. You know Scrooge. You know the story of Scrooge, right? Christmas Carol? Um, the spirits of Christmas take this tight-fisted, miserly, 
guy who's rich beyond compare, but he's such a miser. And they show him his past. They show him his future. Show him how he's just wasted his life, right? And the misery he is wreaking because of his lack of generosity. And in the very end of this horrible night in which these spirits haunt him, um, at the very end, he falls into his own grave. But all of a sudden, he wakes up from this dream he's been having, and he's a different man. Now, why? Because he, he thought in his dream he was dead. He's in his grave, but he wakes up, and he's actually alive. And all of a sudden, he's had this experience of grace. He, he, he's, he's a new person. He's got a second chance. He realizes um, he's not dead. He's alive. He can live differently. And he, he looks at his money in an, in an entirely different way. And in the rest of the play or the movie or the show or whatever you're watching, he, he's almost gleeful, Scrooge is. He's, he's now scheming how he can give it away, all his money. Um, he can't wait to give it away. He's been changed by this grace that has been given to him. And his whole attitude towards money is changed. And the Bible says the same thing about this grace of God. When we experience grace, when it sinks into our heart, when it melts our heart, you, it, it'll change how you experience and how you view and how you relate to money. This experience of grace, this message of grace, of course, you know what it is. It is how Jesus, the Son of God, came to take our place. Jesus died to take the curse of all the brokenness of this world, to turn this world right. Jesus Christ, who, who had experienced every riches of heaven, made himself poor, impoverished himself for our sake, so that we, people who were in deep debt, who were impoverished beyond what we could afford, so that we might become rich, so that we might be forgiven. Paul's saying, this, this is our radically gracious, generous God. This, this is who God is at heart. Think of all that God gives. He gives us this world. He gives us beauty when he could have created a pretty bland world, but it's not. It's a beautiful world. He gives us so much goodness. He gives us food and clothing and families and friends. He gave us a son, which, of course, the Bible says God so loved us that he gave his one and only son. God is a giver. You see the pattern here, right? And this overflowing grace just streams out of who God is. It's the style of God. And that, that is the continued reference point for Paul throughout this passage. As he talks about money, he appeals to that one thing again and again, to grace. He says, I want to test the sincerity of your love, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he is rich, became poor for our sake, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Christians give. We're generous people. We seek that out because we know grace. Grace is the motivation. It is giving as a response to that grace. People who have been forgiven so much, they forgive generously. And people who have been given much, give generously. So the question we've got to wrestle with is, is, is this how we see life? Do we, do we see life through this lens of grace? 
Do we understand, do we totally get that at the heart of the universe is a God of such utter abundance and generosity who is ready to give you grace upon grace in your life? I mean, think about everything has been provided by God. All our needs has been met with his provision. All of our sin has been met with his grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. All the confusion we sometimes experience has been met with his truth and guidance. There's a great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. There's a line in it that says, All I have needed, your hand has provided. Do we believe that, though? Do we? Can we see that all of life is just marinated, bathed in grace? Can you see the infinite, overflowing grace and provision coming to you every day? That sort of grace just revolutionizes your relationship, your attitude towards money. And it, it revolutionizes actually how you give as well. Again, think about Scrooge. You know, do the before and after. Before, think of uh, people coming to Scrooge and, you know, they had to pretty much pry money out of his tight-fisted hands, right? And uh, he only gave when he was asked and when he was guilted into giving. Um, but afterwards, he's totally different. And, and the same thing for us. Without an experience of grace, that's that's so often the way we all give. You know, we're passive until someone comes along and, and you know, pulls a few guilt strings, shows us pictures of hungry children, and then, okay, well, here, what do I got in my pockets? I'll give. Afterwards, Scrooge is different. He's looking for ways to give. When grace changes you, you begin to take the initiative. You begin looking for how, how can I use all that God has given me to, to bless others, to serve others. Christian generosity is always freely given. It's never coerced, never coerced. Paul, throughout this whole passage, he, is, he responds to that. He says, entirely on their own. He's talking about that Macedonian church. It was on their own. I didn't have to ask. It's entirely on their own they gave. Paul didn't beg them. He didn't coerce them. He didn't strong arm them. He didn't manipulate them. That's why throughout this, this campaign of Ready for More, we have just steered clear of that. We thought, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Um, this has to be freely offered. And then as he talked to the Corinthian church about this, uh, as he pointed out, first of all, that other beautiful example of generosity, he turns to the Corinthian and he says, I'm not commanding you. I'm not going to strong arm you. I'm not coming with a hammer. Because the generosity God loves is free. It's cheerful. That's not an oxymoron, right? A cheerful giver. That's not. They, they fit together hand and glove. It's a beautiful thing. Actually, there is no such thing as a disgruntled, complaining, negative, critical, down-in-the-mouth, sour, generous person. That doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It's, I, it, Paul is just so convinced of this. It's almost like, he's, it's almost like a challenge. He's saying, listen, if, if you're going to whine about your giving, keep it. Just keep it because, you know what, God doesn't need the money. First of all, he gave it to you. This is about your heart, actually. This is about you. Generosity can actually come with, with a gladness, with a gratitude when we're, when we're able to see it as a privilege. Again, look at verse 4. The church in Macedonia, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded for the privilege 
of giving. They, they saw their generosity as, as their giving as, as a privilege. Like, holy cow, we get to be part of this amazing deal. God is at work in the world. We are participants in God's story of hope. And to think that God is going to use our giving, however small it is, to be part of They wanted to be players in what God is doing. And so they saw it as a privilege. How about us? How do, you, how do you view your giving? Do you do it with this measure of reluctance? Maybe, you know, as an obligation, a duty? Or are we able to see it as genuinely a privilege? Like, not a, not a have to. This is a get to. We get to be part of what God is doing in this world. It is a privilege. I think in this Ready for More campaign, God, you know, I've, we've, we've said it feels like an honor that God has said, Knox, I've chosen you to, to be a player here in Canada's most influential city, to be a flourishing community of faith. I want you. And it is, it is our privilege to participate in that. The heartbeat of Christian living is, is gratitude. This one of profound thankfulness to God for all that he's given to us. And we're never going to experience a, a, a flow of generosity until we are moved by that gratitude, until we have the faith to trust that there is grace upon grace lavished in our lives. And you know how that happens? It happens in really small ways. It doesn't happen with this rush of generous generosity that overwhelms you. I hope that might happen. But the reality of the Christian life and, and Christian renewal is often it's more on the small side, more on the ordinary. The Apostle Paul uses an image here that gets at that. Um, he uses the image of, of sowing seed. And he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously they're going to reap generously. Each act of generosity, you know how small it is, is, is like a little seed that gets planted and something grows from that. See, the truth is, all of us, we're sowing in our life. We're sowing something. We're all sowers. Every word of encouragement or every word of criticism is a seed you're sowing. Every Prayer that's offered in faith or every indulgence of greed. It's a seed you're sowing in your life. Every act of, of giving yourself to help another or every avoidance of compassion for another is something that is being sown, which is going to grow into a certain type of life. And there's really, there's no way around this. You know, the, the Bible says there's no deception in this. Whatever we sow eventually will have public results. It'll grow into something. And so the important question for us is, what are you sowing in your life? What's the seed you're planting in your lives that one day is going to grow into something? We're all sowers. Some of us get surprised by that reality. Occasionally I'll sit down with people, you know, maybe they're frustrated, they're disappointed with God. Uh, they're frustrated they're not experiencing more growth or spiritual renewal. And as we talk about, you find out, well... They're not sowing to the Spirit at all. Um, sometimes, 
talk to people and they say, you know, you know, worship, I'm not really getting much out of it. And I wonder, how often do you come? Because just your attendance here is sowing something in your life. Do you come with an openness of heart? Or do you sort of, "Mm, we'll see what happens. Wow me, people, okay? If you have the openness of heart, you're sowing something to the Spirit of God. If you're singing, just singing a song. I know some people struggle with it, but just sing with a song. That's sowing something uh, to the Spirit of God. Some of you here today maybe aren't Christians. You sense that maybe there's something about this God thing, but you're not sure. Just that you're here. You're sowing something. You're willing to explore, to learn, to figure things out. And giving is another way in which we sow the gospel into our lives. And of which the Apostle Paul says, eventually we're going to reap a harvest of generosity. And look at the promise here that God gives to us. It's a startling promise. Paul says, God is able to bless you So abundantly. Now, just check his language here. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. I mean, that's that's fairly comprehensive language, right? Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So he's saying, listen, even as you sow seeds, God is going to replenish that store of seed you have so that you're going to be able to harvest even more. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Oh, Do you see the powerful dynamic, the economy of God going on here? That that, that God's grace gets poured out, overflowing in our lives. We're immersed. And as as we experience this flow of of grace, something rises up. This rich gratitude rises up and, and moves us to give. And even as we give, God supplies us with even more so that we can be even more generous And he continues to supply all we need as we continue to sow generously around us. It is is this beautiful spiral of grace and gratitude and giving that is one of the most beautiful things. This This is the economy of God's kingdom. And I love that, that notion that God continues to supply our seed. God continues to, to fill our cup even as we pour it out. Here's the thing about this. Here's where this plays out. You will never know the provision of God. And, and, and I mean know in not just sort of the intellectual way, but in an experiential way. You will not know that reality of God unless you pour yourself out. One of God's names, interestingly, is, is in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh, which means God the provider. God wants to be known as our provider. But the only way for us to know God as a provider, his provision on our life, is experientially for us to pour ourselves out so that we can watch God supply our need. Here, I brought this water up for my thirst, but for more. This is your life. God provides you, fills you up to overflowing. I'm not going to overflow 
close to it. Right? And we say to God, God, I want to know you as my provider. And God says, mm-hmm, I've done that. God, I want you to provide for my life. I've done that. You're full. Um, but it is as we pour ourselves out, right, for the sake of others, as we give generously, as we pour ourselves out, can we then know God providing for us yet again? And he will continue to provide, Scripture says, right? He will supply all that seed that we have just sown. He'll replenish that. This is how we will know that that provision will experience this. Once we participate in this economy of grace and gratitude and generosity, this is how we know God's provider. And this Ready for More campaign has always been the invitation for us to step into that economy, to step into that story of hope, to participate in this beautiful ecosystem of grace, to taste and see that God is good, that he provides, so that we might become like God, radical in his generosity. God loves a cheerful giver. He does. And we are talking about this today, and I'm preaching this message not to spring a few extra bucks from you so that we can meet our financial goals for this Ready for More campaign. We do hope you give and give generously and radically, absolutely. But the larger aim, the bigger deal, is to encourage all of us to align ourselves with God's heart for all of us to become more like God. And so I hope you're going to go away from here today and talk about this with your friends, with your family, with your spouse, with your roommates, and then pray about this. God, how am I becoming more like you? And do I believe to the core of my being, God, that you are a provider? Am I willing to, to, to stake my life on that? Because remember, God is more interested in raising mature, trusting disciples who so plant their hopes in his trustworthy provision than he is in raising a few dollars. Really. He is interested in disciples who will passionately follow Jesus, pouring themselves out for the sake of others rather than raising funds. Are we that people? Are we ready to be that people? Do we have the confidence in the trustworthiness and provision of God do you know his lavish grace so deeply that it changes all of you, even how you look at money? That's the invitation today, friends. Step into that beautiful story of hope and grace and generosity. We're going to take a little time to pray. And as we do, I invite you to, to read along or simply to listen to a couple of these words from 2 Corinthians again, but I want to read it from a different translation from the message. So, maybe close your eyes if you wish. Let's come to God in prayer. And let's hear these words from 2 Corinthians. Remember this, friends. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. And so I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. 
God can pour on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Father, that is the life we want to be part of because that is one of the most remarkably beautiful descriptions of how life can be. We have been so duped by our consumer culture to think that it is in taking in, consuming, that we will be satisfied, that we will become more. We have been lied to, God. Because the truth is, it is in pouring ourselves out that we are filled up with your grace. God, thank you for all that you have given to us. Lord, we are rich because of what you have done for us. Thank you for the great gift of your son, Jesus. Today, God, we ask for help. Help to reflect you better, your giving heart, your generosity. God, we pray that you would pour out a spirit of generosity upon us as a church. May the image others outside of the church see of you through our lives not be an image of of sort of a, a miserly spirit, but when people look at our lives, may they see your lavish love, your generous heart. And God, help us to learn your right living, right giving ways. Help us to trust your extravagant generosity. Help us find the good balance between how much we need to live and there are those important, legitimate, and personal needs we have and yet also how much we need to give away. So continue, God, to challenge us, to stretch us in this whole area of giving. And most of all, God, give us joy in this. May we have just profound joy in becoming the most radically generous people. Give us delight in this as we openly give our hearts to you and our lives to others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.